Judges chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, says this. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagohim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah, between Ramah and Bethel, in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. This is the word of the Lord. Well, on this Mother's Day, we want to focus on uh, Deborah. Deborah. And we'll be in Judges here this morning, chapter 4, chapter 5, a little more in chapter 5 because we just read 4. But this is a wonderful story, and it's one that I've never preached on Mother's Day. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about this. As I share this passage, uh, a proverb comes to mind it says this, an ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy. <laughs> I can tell you in my childhood, that was true. Someone once said that the phrase working mother is redundant. So true. Here's a question for you. If evolution really works, then why don't moms have more than two hands? One woman speaking of her mother said, God made moms because he couldn't be everywhere at the same time. Well, we know that's not true. God can be everywhere at the same time. But playing along with her, she said, my mom is momniscient, momnipotent, momnipresent. <laughs> Salary.com is a reliable market website for data on jobs. Each year they run numbers to determine what compensation a stay-at-home mom would get with benefits. It comes out well over 200000 Men, start paying up. Okay? I honestly think that figure is way low. Uh, I don't think you can put a quantitative number on the value of motherhood. It's the toughest job and role to fill on the face of the earth. And second place, I don't think, is even close. You can be a woman that works on, on Wall Street, and it's a step down from being a mom, in my opinion. Amen. That's just where I'm at. And I'm not against women that work. I'm just saying that that's how valuable 
a mother is to her children. No one has the influence with a child like a mother and like a father. And I'm not speaking against dads here. Moms can't replace dads, and dads can't replace moms. But today is Mother's Day. Moms are irreplaceable on this planet. And God is the one that created the role of mother. The question is, do we really appreciate all that they do? How do we show our appreciation? How do we show our wives that are mothers? How do we show them support? How does a mother who doesn't have anyone in the home other than herself raising the children, how does she find support? Well, that's where the church comes in, amen? This is a great day, by the way, to think about those moms in the church that are single parent moms and go out of your way to love on them, bless them in some way. Do something for them. Let them know they're appreciated. Don't be like the husband who, after his wife had spent the whole day with the children, she went in and prepared a wonderful meal for the family, and he thought he would help her. So after the meal, he said, honey, that meal was amazing. How You must be so exhausted from your day. Why don't you forget about the dishes tonight? They'll be there tomorrow. That is not the kind of support and help that a mother needs. Can I hear an amen from the ladies? Okay, that's right. So why do moms do it? Why do they do all that they do? There's no job that's easier. They've got the toughest job on the planet, and yet they fulfill it. Why? In our study this morning out of the book of Judges, I think looking at Deborah, we're going to get some answers in Judges 4 and 5. Deborah became a mother in Israel, the scripture says. And if you were to ask Deborah, I think by the text that we're going to read, you're going to find that her answer would be, why do I do it? Because I have to. Because I have to. There is no one else that God has appointed the role of mother to. Moms, you're it. And you do it because you have to. You say, that's so cold, though. Moms do it because they love their children. That is a given. Nobody's arguing that. But, but, but they go beyond the call of duty. They do it because they have to. At least that was my experience growing up as a boy. That was my mom, who's here today, 87 years old, still sharp as a whip, and, and, and uh, she could set me straight if she wanted to. But she's gotten gracious in her old age. She knows, she's always saying to me, she said, uh, getting old's not easy, and uh, uh, I think she's doing really well. Let me read something for you that I wrote about my mom this morning. She's not, she doesn't have Facebook, so she has no clue what I'm reading, uh, but let me read this for you. I said, on this special day, I want to wish my mother a big, fat, happy Mother's Day. I have been blessed beyond measure by the woman of God's choosing who brought me into this world. My sister Dana wrote a wonderful tribute to my mom that speaks to other aspects of her life, and I agree wholeheartedly. So I thought I would say something about the spiritual influence 
that my mother has had on my life. She has so consistently lived and exemplified Christ to me that frankly, I would be terrified to stand before God as an unrepentant sinner because if God allowed, my own mother would stand and bear witness against me. And for that, I am so very thankful. In fact, I wonder if God didn't make her my mom just so he could keep a special eye on me. She is my biggest support and always has been. But what stands out about her love and her support is that it was always coupled with the truth. All the way back to when, as a little boy going into the Ivy's uh, department store, I saw one of those little stick figurines of a skeleton. You push the bottom and he crumples over and then you let go and he stands back up. It was on the counter and I took it. And I must have stuffed it in my pocket or I must have carried it behind my back. I don't know. We got out of the store and I pulled it out, not being very smart, in front of my mom and I'm playing with it. And she said, where did you get that? And I said, from inside. And I gave her some excuse for how I got it. She walked me back inside, went to the counter, to the receptionist, and said, tell the lady what you did. I had to admit that I stole this little thing that was on the counter, this little toy, and I had to ask forgiveness for that and apologize. Now, that is a mom who walks in the same spirit of Jesus Christ, who came to this earth in grace and in truth. And that's what it's about. I'm so glad we have the story of Deborah in the book of Judges. Tur turn to chapter 5. I want to read another portion of this passage, just trying to give you a little bit of the context. You heard a little bit of the context in chapter 4. Let me add to it. In chapter 5, because God so graciously used a woman at a specific time in Israel's history to to release the people from bondage of their enemy. And this was the re reoccurring story. It happened over and over and over again in the book of Judges. The children of Israel would drift away from God, and then they would fall into sin, all-out sin. And then God would allow another nation to come in and literally subject them to, to slavery. And then Israel would cry out for help, and then God would hear their cry, and he would raise up a hero or a judge, and that judge would lead them by God into deliverance. And then they would turn around and repeat the cycle. This happened over and over and over again. And this is one of those experiences where God now raises up a female as a judge over Israel. Verse 1, then, and, and after, after he used her greatly, she carried out his plan to fulfillment she and Barak, the military commander, wrote a song. They sang a song. That's what we're going to read. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel and that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel." Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds 
dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and travelers kept to their byways. What she's speaking of is how when they would come under the oppression of the enemy, the people weren't even comfortable going out to the main roads. They had to hide away. If they did travel, they traveled by the crooked paths behind the scenes, trying to stay out of sight because that's how much they were subject to their enemy. And then she says, the villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. As a mother in Israel. So this is a story of a woman who God used as a spiritual mother. We have no record in the Bible that Deborah had biological children. We do know she was married, and we know that the man she married was a godly man, and he was a spiritual leader in his home. I'll show you that in just a moment. But we also know that God made Deborah a mother in Israel. How did she become a mother in Israel? Three things I want to pull out of her life that I think will help ladies here today to be spiritual moms for their children. Because we live in a day where we too have an enemy that's trying to press in from every side, trying to, to, to cause mothers and fathers to soften in their position with God, to give in to the culture of the day, to not stand up for Jesus Christ, to not speak the truth in love, to not be the people that God has called us to be, to not share the gospel of Christ. This is an attack of the enemy. This is what he's up to. And we need moms that will stand spiritually strong for their families, for the Lord. So let's see this. The idea that any family is just one generation away from decline needs no other example than looking at the children of Israel. When Deborah rose to prominence as a prophetess and judge, the rebellious generation of Israelites that fled Egypt had died in the wilderness. A new generation traveled with Moses to the plains of Moab, and he taught them how to follow the Lord. Everything appears to be in place for their conquest of the promised land, just as God had given it to them and promised it to them. But Judges chapter 2, verse 11, let me just write it down if you want, I'll just go there quickly. Verses 11 and 12, Judges 2, 11 and 12. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, the false gods. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. You say, how did that happen? The Israelites failed to train their children in the ways of the Lord. Who has the primary responsibility of training children in the Lord? Moms and dads, the parents. God designed the family. God created the husband and the wife. God created the mother and the father. God gave them the ability to procreate, to have children and have a family. But God is looking to moms and looking to dads to raise up children in such a way that when they are old, they will not depart from it, Proverbs 22, 6. Well, Israel didn't do that. Instead, 
it says they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed down to false gods. I want to say this to the moms and the dads that are in the room. Be very careful that you not allow other gods to come into your home. Other gods can take many forms. One form is to put your children ahead of God. You actually make your children an idol. You worship at the idol of your children. Day and night, it's just about them. And you leave God behind. It could be money. It could be a title that you carry in the community. It could be your reputation. Uh, you can turn anything into a God. But all gods, listen, are less than even you. Whatever God you make is not greater than you. The, the Bible speaks of this in numerous places about they take a piece of rock, they take a piece of wood, they take a piece of some stone, precious stone, and they carve it, they, they chip away at it, and they create this God. But it doesn't, it, it doesn't have hands that it can reach out. It doesn't have feet that it can walk. It doesn't have a mouth that it can speak. It doesn't have ears that it can hear. It doesn't have eyes that it can see. It's less than the person who made it. God is creator. You are the highest form of his creation. God is looking for you to look to him and make him the only God in your life. And when a child sees that out of a mom and a dad, oh, what a blessing. Now, now you are positioning that child for their future in the Lord. Amen? So let's look at three things here quickly. Number one, Deborah's calling, her calling. She was frustrated by Israel's sin and Canaan's oppression. It says that she would work out by the palm tree, sitting under the palm tree, as a judge and a prophetess. By the way, let me just say this. This church believes biblically in the complementarian view. We believe that God has raised up men to be the spiritual head of the home. Men should be the spiritual head of the church. But let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that women don't have positions of leadership in the Bible. This is one right here. She was a prophetess. She was a judge. She handled the cases and the issues that came up among the people sitting under a palm tree in the day. She also, women, had the same, listen, the same ability to teach as men those who have ability, those who have that gift. Women aren't less. Women, women have the same leadership skills, administrative skills. The only difference is the role that God has given to men and God has given to women. That's all it is. That's the only difference is the role. So we respect the position of headship as belonging to the man. He will answer to God for that role. But we don't minimize the abilities and the gifts. Women run businesses. Women are some of the best administrators out there. I know that growing up in the church, uh, not when I was young, but as a young pastor, we had women who did the K. Arthur series. K. Arthur is a very gifted Bible teacher. 
she's as gifted as just about any man I've ever heard. So don't think for a second that you're less than, ladies. But I do want us to see the situation here. Deborah is being used of God as a prophetess. I love that. And at the Lord's prompting, all of a sudden she's called for an army of the Israelites to come together and to defeat the Canaanites who had 900 chariots. 900 chariots. That's not including the number of soldiers. Okay, probably more than we can count. And, and they were coming up against the enemy, against Israel. And Deborah is led by God to rise up out of a holy indignation and do something about it. It does not mean that her husband was nowhere to be found and he was lazy and not doing his job. It's that he recognized God was using his wife through her skills and her abilities in this way. Okay? So this was a humanly impossible situation where God performed a miracle. In this instant, God didn't raise up a great warrior like Samson or Shamgar. He raised up a woman. I would say to you that in every single home where there's a mother and there are children, God is raising you up, ladies, to spiritually participate with your husband. He's the lead, but nobody nurtures like you. And you're training them. You're raising them up. God is using you in that setting. And he used her to deliver the people of God. Now, secondly, not only the calling, but Deborah's uh, commitment Deborah was devoted to God. Whatever Deborah did was not of her own volition. It wasn't her own ideas. It wasn't that she somehow thought, well, maybe I could do this. Here's a great idea. Let me put this plan in place because God's given me this special ability and I'll just do. No, no. She was doing what the Lord told her to do. Remember, she's a prophetess. So she's receiving her marching orders from God. And in verse 4 of chapter 4, it says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel at that time. The reason God was using her to judge was because he had skilled her in doing that, and he had called her to do it, and she was committed to God's plan. Whatever God's called you to do, ladies, do it! Now, it needs to line up with Scripture. Don't, don't think that God's calling you to you know, do something that's not biblical. He wouldn't do that. But when God calls you to whatever it is, people say, well, what's the will of God for my life? I just, I'm still wanting the will of God. Here's the will of God. This is it. Know this. The more you know this, the more you'll know the will of God. So here she is, one of several women in the Bible who was a prophetess. And, and God uses her. Verse Chapter 5, verse 2, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly Bless the Lord. So Deborah's doing what God's called her to do, and people are responding. They're following her leadership. She has influence as a woman. In a day when that was uncommon, she's the only woman of all the judges, the heroes that God raised up, she's the only woman that God used. So for her to overcome even the cultural nuances of that day had to be significant. But see, her focus was on her commitment to the Lord not on what people thought of her. So Deborah was devoted to her God. But she's also devoted to her family. You say, wait a minute, she didn't have kids. Israel. God raised her up to be a mother in Israel. 
Her husband's name, Labadoth, means uh, lightning flashes. I like that. Lightning flashes. So he was not uh, a small weight. He, he was very much in control. He was in authority. But yet, even so, he was always willing to let God have his way and utilize the skills and the abilities of his wife. Amen. It's okay, Brad. Don't worry about it, buddy. He's trying to get to it. He's uh, trying to help himself. There you go. Great. Now, beyond her marriage, it doesn't say, again, that she had biological children, but we do know from Scripture here, because she says it in her, in her song, that she is the one who God raised up to be the mother in Israel. Thirdly, Deborah's confidence. There's Deborah's calling, there's Deborah's commitment, and then there's Deborah's confidence. Where does your confidence come from to be a mom? Where does your confidence come from to be a dad? Where does your confidence come from? People are told all the time to have self-confidence. I'm going to tell you that's a false hope. Self-confidence is a false hope. That's a worldly concept. You are to walk in godly confidence, just as Deborah. So in her confidence in the Lord, not in herself, but in the Lord, she speaks with this military leader of Israel, Barak. Look at verse 6 in chapter 4. And she, here, listen to what it says. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun? And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. She's reminding Barak what God has already said to Barak. Have you forgotten what God said? This is a woman who's not coming up with her own ideas. Well, here's what I think spiritually ought to happen. No, no. This is a woman who's received from God a marching order. And she's taken it to the military commander, because she's a prophetess. She shared it with him, and he's not done anything with it. And she's like, did you forget? Have you forgotten what the Lord said? She reminds him of what the Lord has said. Now, she's asking Barak to engage in a military campaign that God set up. No doubt that she believed God would prevail if they would be obedient and follow Barak said to her, if you will go with me, verse 8, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. I know what some of you men are thinking. What a weak military leader. You got to take a woman along in order to go to battle? Seriously? What's wrong with this guy? Back off of that for a second. Let's consider something else. God has raised up this woman to be a leader in Israel at this time. She is the hero that God raised up. She has influence with the people. She has favor with the people. It could be that it's not a sign of weakness at all. It could be that Barak is saying, I recognize the influence of this woman at this time in history, and I want her to go with us to the battle. 
it will send a loud message to the people. So we don't really know. I'm postulating here. It's not, it's not in the text. It could be that he is weak and that he also wanted her to go. Who knows? But, but Deborah was so confident in the Lord's work that she replied, verse 9, and she said, I will surely go with you, which tells you that she's justifying his, his, his uh, suggestion. She doesn't turn to him and go, you weak-kneed, watery-eyed punk, get up and go do your job. <laughs> she didn't say that. She actually said, okay, I'll go with you, probably recognizing that he made a good point, whatever that point was. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Now, Barak recruited the 10,000 men that God told him to recruit and to meet with Sisera, the enemy, on the battlefield, the one who had 900 chariots plus more men than they could count. And as they prepared the battle, Deborah challenged Barak with courageous words. Remember now, we're talking about her commitment, but we're also talking about her confidence in the Lord. Listen to this, verse 14. And Deborah said to Barak, up! Did I just wake you up? Good. That's what it says, up, with an exclamation point. i got to read it that way. Up! For this is the day in, the, in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. So here's a woman who is so confident in God that she inspires the military commander at the right moment. I do believe he was ready to go. I don't think he was waffling. I just think that he was waiting to hear when. And she's like, now, let's do it, now. Now, why was she saying it then? Because God told her to say it then. Again, I, I can't go back enough and say it's that as you lead, ladies, in your home, as you're spiritual leaders, as you make an impact in this community, however God uses you, you want to go where God goes. You want to let God lead you. One of, the, one of the things that we've established four and a half years ago as a church family from the very beginning is that we only want to join God in what he is doing. We're just not interested in trying to create a plan and a vision and do it our way. We're not interested in that. Because the scripture says many are the plans of a man's heart, but it is the Lord's plan that prevails. That's, that's where we want to live. Amen? Well, you're no different. Men, fathers, husbands, that's what you want. You want to join God in his work. Ladies, mothers, you want to join God in his work. And I want you to notice she spoke as if it were a foregone conclusion, which it was. Years later, the Apostle Paul would pen words that are very similar to Deborah's. He gave these words of God confidence to the Christians in Rome who were under persecution as they shared the gospel. Listen to what he said, Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's not Paul having self-confidence. That's God-confidence all over the man. So how do you defeat 900 chariots and a full army with only 10,000 men? The simple answer is you don't. But God can. And God did. Because God ordered this whole plan up. He released earthquakes, flash floods in the, in the river as the chariots were crossing over. It so confused and frustrated them that the army began to turn, the enemy turned to flee the battlefield, and Israel chased after them and slew them. This is only what God can do. 
God can, he is the miracle worker. Amen? And yet, we don't have to live from day to day looking for a miracle. Because we have his word. We have the promises. We have the records of all the miracles right here. We can trust God that he will deliver. He will ring the bell. He'll deliver the mail every single time. Trust the word. Live your life out of the word. Be a faithful Christian. And that's, what I, that's the takeaway of the message today. From the life of this mother in Israel, we can learn how to face our own battles for God. Don't just be a mother. Be a spiritual mother. And let me say to the older women in our church who, whose children have now grown up and have moved on, you are still very much called by God in this fellowship to be a spiritual mother. We need you to serve, just like we need spiritual fathers. But we need spiritual moms to come alongside the young moms in the Lord who are still trying to gain confidence and keep their focus on God. But it's difficult because their days are filled with so much and they need support, they need strength, they need prayer. Spiritual moms, that's what they really need. So how does a mother do this? How does a mother accomplish all that God calls her to do and be? 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, I close with this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, <laughs> excuse me, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Just submit yourself to God's work. And motherhood is God's work for you. He will do the rest. And he will give you peace as you walk in that role created for you. And we, along with your children, will rise up and call you blessed. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this Mother's Day that we can, we can lift up and exalt those that you have created for the purpose of raising our children in the home, nurturing them along with the Father. Both parents have unique roles. Fathers don't do what moms do well, and moms can't do what fathers do so well. We need each other. It's a complementarian view. And I pray, God, today that moms will feel appreciated, truly supported, that we won't ask them to do the dishes tomorrow. We'll get in there and we'll get things done today and tomorrow. Let us be faithful, committed supports to our wives and for children to their mothers. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you, moms. Let me say this again. There's a place outside, just go out the doors, turn right, and around the corner you'll see a place where you can have a picture taken with your family. We hope you'll take advantage of that. We've got elders and prayer partners that can come up front. If you need prayer for anything at all, if you want to commit yourself to the Lord, uh, the gospel will be shared. We'll explain to you what it means to be saved. Come and, come and receive whatever help you are looking for. God bless you.